You're listening to a message provided by Antioch Bible Baptist Church in Gladstone, Missouri. We intend this to be a helpful resource to you as you grow in your walk with Jesus Christ. This is intended especially for those who are unable to attend our worship gatherings and therefore were unable to hear the teaching of God's Word. This should not replace your gathering with our church as a member. If you're checking us out for the first time and are looking for a church to visit, we hope that you enjoy this content and that it impacts you personally. Thanks for listening. Matthew chapter 9, if you have your Bible, I invite you to join me there. We're going to look at verses 9, chapter 9, verse 1 through 17. Again, the major theme that Jesus weaves and emphasizes throughout the gospel is authority. Exousia, meaning the power to act. I'm telling you, church, Jesus has the power to act. Amen? Jesus has the power to act. According to Myron Whipster's dictionary, authority is the power to influence or command thought, opinion, or behavior. According to the website Exploring Your Mind, formal authority is the most common authority that corresponds to those that exercise power and have influence over others. We all have a certain amount of authority over others, right? We know what authority looks like. I think most of us in this room would say we are under someone's authority. Ultimately, we're under the authority of Jesus Christ, amen? That's a good place to be, under his authority and following his lead for our life. Of the nine times that Matthew uses the word authority, five occur in chapter 7, 8, and 9. Chapter 7, verse 29, the crowds were amazed at Jesus' teaching with authority. Chapter 8, verse 9, the centurion recognizes Jesus' authority to heal. In chapter 9 and verse 6, Jesus declares that he has authority to forgive sins. In chapter 9 and verse 8, the crowds react to Jesus' authority. And then in chapter 10, verse 1, Jesus gave authority to his 12 disciples. If you have your Bible, let's look together in Matthew Chapter 9, we're going to work our way through chapter 1 through verse 17. And getting into a boat, he crossed over and came to his own city. And behold, some people brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. And behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, this man is blaspheming. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He then said to the paralytic, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose, and he went home. When the crowd saw it, they were afraid, and they glorified God who had given such authority to men. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said to Matthew, follow me. And he rose and he followed him. And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, They said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? 
But when he heard of it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but I came to call the sinners. Then the disciples of John came to him saying, why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them and then they will fast. No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment for the patch tears away from the garment and a worse tear is made. Neither is new wine put into old wineskins. If it is, the skin burst and the wine is spilled and the skins are destroyed. But new wineskin is put into fresh wineskins and so both are preserved. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the privilege of coming to you today and just calling you out by your name. You're a father. Your presence in our life means so much. We thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you for this passage in Matthew chapter 9, uh, that God, you will speak to my life, our lives, that we can grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. I thank you for each person in the room today. I just pray that, God, you would speak in a way to my heart, our hearts, those watching online, and we look forward to how you're going to teach us and encourage us uh, to walk and live in a way that makes much of you. We thank you, we thank you Father, for, again, your word, your living word, and we commit our morning to you, we pray in Jesus' name, and together, church, we said, amen. amen. There are three statements of authority we're going to look at today. First, Jesus declares his authority then Jesus demonstrates his authority, and then Jesus defines his authority. So first, Jesus declares his authority in chapter 9, 1 and following. Verse 1 says that Jesus came into his own city. That refers to the city of Capernaum. That was his a place of operations where he lived, a city of about 1,500 people. So this is where he is in Capernaum. And the narrative says some people brought a paralytic lying on a bed to Jesus. Not much is said here in Matthew's gospel, but you go to Mark's gospel, chapter two, one and following, there's a little bit more detail. It says there were four men uh, who picked up their friend who was a paralytic, put him on a, a mat and began to carry him to Jesus. And as they're making their way to Jesus, Jesus is teaching, he's teaching in a, in a, in a room, at a home, and the teaching is now outside the room and, out, and outside the house. And when they come, they've got to make a decision. And they say, hey, we're going to take our friend and go up to the roof. Uh, that was common in those days. They had stairway up. Many times at night, they would sit up there for the cool of the evening. So they get up on the roof with their friend on this mat. And they begin to dismantle the roof, probably made of thatch or some other kind of product. And it, you can just kind of imagine, here's Jesus teaching in this room, all of a sudden you got stuff falling down, things going on, and then these guys lower their friend down to Jesus. I mean, talk about initiative, amen? I mean, they're, they're, they want to get their friend to Jesus. That's a good reminder to us, and I'm convicted by that myself, to get people to Jesus, amen, church? That's really one of the things that we are to do, amen? I'm convicted by that, that we are bringing people to Jesus. And so Jesus recognizes this man has come down. And what he says here in the text that he says, I'm going to forgive you. 
I, I think about that man on the mat and saying, I, I didn't come to get forgiveness, man. I, I came to get healing. I, I came to be fixed. But Jesus knew what his real need was. His real need wasn't healing. His real need was forgiveness. And by the way, that's the same need that we have. Amen, church? The need of forgiveness. And God is faithful to forgive. Faithful to forgive. It's been said that faith is action. Uh, that faith changes the way that we live. Faith is rooted in the truth of the gospel. The Bible puts it this way in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6. Without faith, it is impossible to please God because those who come to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So all the things that he could have said, he said, take heart. Your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. That word forgiven communicates the idea of sending or driving away. In the Old Testament book of Leviticus, describes in verse 16 a, 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 visual, a visible picture of what that looks like. Hear, hear God's word in Leviticus chapter 16, verse 21. It says, Aaron will lay both hands on the head of a live goat and confess over it all the Israelites' iniquities and rebellious acts all their sins. He is to put them on the goat's head and send it away into the wilderness by the man appointed for the task. What they would do, Aaron, they would have two goats. They would take one goat and sacrifice that goat for the sins of the people of Israel. And then they would send what they called a scapegoat. And before they sent that scapegoat out into the wilderness, Aaron, the priest, would put his hands on the head of that goat and confess all the Israelites' sins, and then they would release that goat to go out into the wilderness, never to come back again. It's just a picture of our sins are just taken away because of Jesus, because of God and his work in our lives. It's a beautiful, beautiful picture. And so the core message, we would say, of Christianity, the core message is that God will forgive your sins. God will forgive your sins. How? Through the person of Jesus Christ. The gospel is the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. The gospel is Jesus. Repent and believe and put your trust in the person of Jesus Christ. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes into righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ will be saved. Be saved. That's the picture. David Platt puts it this way, Bible teacher and author. He says, forgiveness is God's greatest gift because it meets our greatest need. We need forgiveness. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. Isn't that amazing, church? What a promise that is. And when we confess our sins, here's the challenge in my life and probably your life. It's not God forgive all my many sins, amen. Really it is begin to call out the particular specific sins of our life. And that's good and that takes time, doesn't it? Specific sins we give. And God knows those specific sins. But if we confess our sins, 
He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. Church, that is a great gift that we get by Jesus Christ through God the Father. Forgiveness of sins. And so when Jesus forgives this man, the authorities, these religious leaders, these scribes, believe that he's dishonoring God because who's able to forgive sins but God? So who is this Jesus think he is? Only God can forgive sins. Who does Jesus think he is? They couldn't comprehend the reality that Jesus is God. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word is, was God. God, Jesus is God, church. It's kind of hard to get our arms around that even today, but they didn't, they didn't understand that Jesus is God. Jesus is God. And so we had two questions for the scribes from Jesus. The scribes say, why do you think evil in your heart? Jesus said, why do you think evil in your heart? For which is easier to say in verse four and five, your sins are forgiven or to say, rise and walk. For Jesus, the answer is obvious. Both forgiveness of sins and rising to walk are impossible for men, but possible for Jesus because Jesus is equal with God. The point is that only God could either heal disease or forgive sins. And in this passage, what Jesus is doing, he is declaring his authority. He has authority over forgiveness. He has authority over sickness. And this miracle of the healing of this man. I like the way the passage puts it here. He says to him in verse number six, but you that you may know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and he went home. There's not a lot said there, but here's a man who was broken, a paralytic, he got two things that day, forgiveness, and he got, he got healing. So God not only, or Jesus not only declares his authority, but Jesus then demonstrates his authority in verse 9 through verse 13. Verse number 9 begins to put into the call of Matthew, and it simply says he called him. Look at the text here, what it says in verse number Number nine, and Jesus passed on from there. So he, he moved away from Capernaum and he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and he followed Jesus. He followed Jesus. Now he's a tax collector. Tax collectors were employed by the representatives of the Roman authority, the Roman government. In Matthew's time and the situation he was in, historians say the tax booth was a booth located at a port or the edge of a city or town to collect taxes for trade that would go through the city by water or by walking through. And so as a tax collector, he was required to collect a certain amount of tax money for the Roman authorities and whatever extra he could get, he could put that in his own, his own pocket. As a result... In that, in that season, tax collectors were despised and hated by, really by almost everybody. The Jews would have considered Matthew a traitor. 
And here's Jesus calling Matthew to follow him. Can you imagine the other disciples? I mean, Matthew, of all the people you could say, follow me, is Matthew? I mean, they, they, would, they would have hated him, hated him. Alfred Edersheim was a classic Jewish historian. He says this about this, this setting. He said, if you were a tax collector in this day, you could not attend the synagogue to worship. You could not even have any religious interaction with the people. He said, you were like pigs or swine. Tax collectors were forbidden to be a witness in any court of law because they could not be believed. They were known as flagrant liars and classified with robbers and murderers. And Jesus said, Matthew, follow me. Aren't you thankful that Jesus said, follow me? Right? I don't deserve to follow Jesus. You don't deserve to follow Jesus. But by God's grace, he's, follow, he's called us to follow him. What a beautiful picture. This is a life-changing experience. Follow me. So Matthew leaves his tax collecting position. Most Bible scholars believe that Matthew had already had a season where he heard the teaching of Jesus. So this was just like one thing, like who's Jesus? He had heard his teaching. Uh, he had experienced the influence of Jesus. And so he was aware of who Jesus was and is. And he took up and he followed him, immediately followed him. And then in verse 10, he follows him and he arranges a banquet. It's important to know that Matthew was a wealthy individual. And he, he puts on this banquet for all the tax collectors and sinners who are invited. And Jesus is invited and his disciples are invited. And so they're reclining around the table, eating and making connections. And then in verse 11, if you have your text here, verse 11. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Now think about this. Here's a religious crowd, Pharisees and scribes, and Jesus was almost always hanging out with sinners. Always hanging out with sinners. I, I need to hang around more often with sinners. I, you know, I, I'm a pastor here at Antioch. Uh, we have a lot of sinners in our staff. Uh, <laughs> But it's just, it's just different, right? It's just different. But we, we have, I'm not trying to be negative. We have neighbors who are sinners who need Jesus. We have coworkers who are sinners that need Jesus. I'm convicted by this passage. How, what am I doing to step into the lives of others? We have a neighbor in our neighborhood uh, that's an older couple. We've had some conversations. If I told you the other day about the gospel, if I told you the other day, man, we... We've, we've got to, we've, we've got to stop and go and have a conversation with them. Have you ever had those kind of thoughts in your mind come in where you know you ought to go do something and do it? Right? Just to go and just talk about the need for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they couldn't believe he was at this banquet with sinners and that's where he spent his time with tax collectors and sinners Presenting the gospel, amen? Presenting the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. Jesus not only declares his authority and demonstrates his authority, he also defines his authority. 
in chapter 9, verse 14 through, six, through 17. Let me read this passage again and we'll navigate our way through it. Then the disciples of John came to Jesus saying, why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The wedding guest here represents the disciples, right? The bridegroom represents Jesus. So he's saying, can the disciples mourn as long as Jesus is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom, Jesus, is taken away and will, excuse me, is taken away from them and then they will fast. No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment for the patch tears away from the garment and the worst tear is made. Verse 17, neither is new wine put into old wineskins. If it is, the skins burst and the wine is spilled and the skins are destroyed, but new wine is put into fresh wineskins. And so both of them are preserved. So we have the disciples of John the Baptist. John the Baptist is still alive at this time. He's in prison. But they're coming and asking just a, a question. We're, you know, why aren't you, why aren't you fasting? John's disciples would fast twice a week, for sure. Usually a Monday or a Thursday. It's not that Jesus never fasted. Mark chapter four talks about him fasting other places. But he's saying right now, this is the, this is the season where it's just not time to fast. I'm with my disciples we're here, and my time is short, so it's just, this is not the time to fast. He presents that to him. So he's making the claim in this passage that, that I am the groom. In essence, he's saying, I am God in the flesh. I'm the God in the flesh. Then he goes on to, in verse 16 through 19, he uses two illustrations from everyday life to make a point. First, he has the illustration of clothing. We read here a moment ago. He says, no one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. So unshrunk cloth on a garment, if it's unshrunk, it's going to shrink and will rip the garment. So he said, we, that's, not, that's not what we do, right? It'll, it'll tear away and the tear is, is worst. So what's the point of that statement that Jesus is saying? Jesus is saying, I have not come to patch up old religious traditions. That's not why Jesus came. Jesus came, amen, to declare and promote the gospel of Jesus Christ, not the, and about relationship with God by faith in Jesus Christ. He did not come to promote religion, right? Religion. He came to offer real growth and right living and discipleship. Jesus uses a second illustration from wine. No one puts new wine into old wineskins. New wine will expand and it'll, the skins of an animal, they'll, they'll rip and they'll be destroyed and break apart. So he says, that, you, you, can't, you can't do that. that. That doesn't work. The point is that Jesus said, I didn't come to fill the old Jewish system of this wine of the law and traditions of the Pharisees or the scribes. That's not why I came. I did not come to patch up the traditional practices of their righteousness and religious baggage. I didn't come for that, he said. I didn't come for that. And so he uses these two dynamic illustrations 
to teach his disciples and to teach the Pharisees and the scribes for the reason why he has come. As we look at this passage, I thought about just Antioch, about new wineskins, new wine. Are we putting old, are we putting new wine into old wineskins? I don't know what that means for our church. What could that look like for Antioch to, to have new wine and new wineskins? I, I believe right now, by God's grace, God's favor is put on our church. Amen, church, God's grace is over our church. It's not about me, about Steve, any other pastor. It's not about you. It's about the grace of God. Amen. It's a good thing. It's a good thing. May we be a church that puts new wine into new wineskins. I think about our five o'clock prayer time once a month. That's new wine in new wineskins that we pray, that people gather here to pray. You can pray at home. You can pray by yourself. But there's a dynamic when we get together and pray. There's just something about praying together in a group around this building. And it makes a difference. That's good for us. It's good. We think about the changes of, of Antioch over the years. How many in the room were back in Antioch? At, 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 we call Krieger Hall now. How many in the room were there back in the day? Let me see your hands. So a pretty good number of you there. And so when we started to build this building, we were sitting in pews over there. And that became kind of a big deal with pews because I, I was telling them, we're not going to have pews over here. We're going to have chairs. What do you mean no pews, just chairs, right? <laughs> so I actually, if you remember that, I, I actually brought a chair up on the stage. This is a chair. You know? You, you can sit in a chair. I mean, for, we had a few people. I mean, uh, okay, nobody in here was probably that person. But I get, I get that that was our tradition, right? That was our tradition. And nothing wrong with pews at all, right? Nothing wrong with that at all. Back in the day, we had a, right in this room, we had a choir here. We had a 50-people choir right here every Sunday, right? Orchestra playing. It was, was, was great. It was good, right? Not, you know, it's just, that was, that was a season for us. That was good. It's just a new day for us. Amen, church? It's, it's, it's new wineskin, when I first came to Antioch, I wore a suit in the office every day. Never thought of, think about it, just every day. Shaved every day. I didn't really have to shave that much, but I, in those days I had a few things. <laughs> every day shaved, every day put a tie on it. And that was no big deal. Not, no complaining about that. That's just what you did. That's what we did. All right. Did it for years. Now look at me. All right. <laughs> look at Steve over here. I mean, he's a mess. I mean, you know, so, you know. I mean, it was just, it, just a different day. I'm not suggesting these are new wineskins. I mean, but it's just a different time, and that's, that's okay. The bottom line is the gospel never changes, amen? The gospel hasn't changed anything, any way at Antioch over these years. If anything, I believe the gospel is, is growing, is even getting stronger at our church. Stronger at our church. So a good illustration from Jesus. He says, these are, these are new days, all right? It's not about religion. It's not about works. It's about a relationship with God by faith in Jesus Christ. He came to make a difference. New wineskins represent teaching points that uphold the dynamic of the gospel. Old wineskins represent the mentality 
and oral tradition left by the Pharisees with improper teaching of the law. It was all about what they could do, all about being good, all about what they had, what they wore, all those kind of things. Old wineskins. Let me close today with just a couple of questions that I hope will apply to you with this text here in Mark chapter 9, verse 1 through 17. I think about the call of Matthew. Is Jesus calling you to follow him? You, know, you, you may be a believer, praise God for that, but are you following Jesus? Are you, are you living after Jesus in your life? Following him? That's, that's new wineskin. Say, I want to, I'm, I'm a, not just sitting in, the, in a chair here, right? just not coming to Sunday morning, but in, in my life and my dynamic of my life, by God's grace, I want to follow him. I want to follow him and live for him. Is Jesus calling you to serve? We've got a church, a lot of people that serve, and not just in this building, but outside this building. What could it look like for you to serve your neighbor and, and serve your family, your, the dynamic of your work environment, how they could all look together of serving? Is Jesus calling you to grow in your faith? He talks about faith here. Faith is trust, putting your trust in, in your weight on who Jesus is. Is Jesus calling you to forgive someone? It's been said that forgiven people forgive. And sometimes we just got to let it go. That's what forgiveness means. Literally, it just means just let it go. It doesn't mean that you were hurt by that. It doesn't mean you might be best friends again. But it means I'm willing to say, I forgive. I think in a marriage relationship, it's huge, amen? Isn't it huge? Just to say to your spouse, I was wrong. Would you forgive me? I think we need to say that word, church. We need to say that word, I, I forgive you, right? Will you forgive me? Is Jesus calling you to a new opportunity? Is Jesus calling Antioch to, to new wineskins? Going back to pews or something, I don't know, we're gonna, you know, just what it could be. But what, what does God have for us? I don't, I don't know exactly. I just know he wants us to continue gathering. He wants us to continue to serving together. He wants us to use us to make a difference in our neighborhoods, in our work environment. He wants us to stay true to the word. Amen, church? Keep living out the word. And by the way, here's the deal, church. I think we hear the word good, but are we doing the word? That's the, that's the deal, isn't it? Amen? Not only hearing the word, but amen? Doing the word, all right? We can come and hear it. It's good to hear it, but we got to walk out and do it. Amen, church? Amen. Hear it and do it. This is a great reminder in your life and my life that Jesus is the ultimate authority in my life. Ultimate authority and, and in your life as well. And that's, and authority is good. I know in the culture we're in right now, authority is like this, but I'm telling you, biblically, authority is this. That God is with us. He's for us. We can follow him and follow his ways. Let's pray together. Father, it always means a lot to call you our father. It just speaks of relationship that we can have with you and for you by faith in Jesus Christ. I pray for those in these seats today and those watching online that today would be that change for them. Maybe they need a healing. Maybe not physically healed, but spiritual healing in their life. I pray you would call on them, God, and draw them to yourself. It may be a season of re today of repentance and, and turning to you. It may be a time of salvation. 
to realize without Christ, I have, I have nothing. And I want to put my faith and trust in the person of Christ. I admit that I'm a sinner and I repent. I want to turn from that and turn to Jesus and call upon his name. Put my faith in him. And Father, I, I ask you uh, humbly that you continue to use Antioch and Antioch's not a building. Antioch is his people. That you would use our church to make a difference. That we would look at what, what are the new wineskins for Antioch? New wine. How, how can you use our church, God, to make an impact in this community and around the world? Where it's not about us, but it's about you working through us and making a difference in the lives of others. God, I thank you for your faithfulness. I thank you for the privilege of gathering. So help us to take this passage and apply it. And I'm saying that to myself, God, that I would apply this passage. Not just study it, not just read it, but God, by your grace, to live it. And we give all that to you in prayer in the name of Jesus. And together, church, we said... Thank you for listening. You're always welcome at Antioch. If you desire more information, please go to AntiochBBC.org. That's AntiochBBC.org. God's best to you.